Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, welcome once again to Dairy Stream. Today, we're covering cover crops, certainly something that's become very dominant in agriculture over the last five to 10 years. Before, it was a term that was rarely uh, used in our agricultural conversations, but now is becoming more commonplace. And we're going to try to explain why and talk a little bit about the basics of cover crops and also overcoming some challenges for those of you that might want to get involved in cover crops. And our guests today include Jim Iserman. He is the Illinois and Wisconsin field manager for Soil Health Partnership. And also with us is Ken Rosenow. He is a partner with other family members in Cedar Home Farms and also has been very active in a variety of uh, watershed groups, which includes the Oconomowoc River Watershed Protection Program, Farmers for Lake County, the uh, Dodge County Health Soils Healthy Waters, and the Waukesha County farmers for clean water and I want to commend both of you for your efforts and your time today and passing along the message about cover crops and let's start with you Jim can you tell us a little bit about your role in supporting farmers with their cover crop efforts sure thank you at soil health partnership we're promoting soil health through on-farm research particularly looking at comparative trials. So we work with growers who try to adopt a new soil health management system. Uh, Oftentimes that's cover crops, which is why we're here today to talk. They'll take a look both at the soils, the economic and the management information and agronomic information coming off that farm. And we try to look at it over time. So most of our growers are committing to a five-year trial with our program as we try to take a look at the the changes, particularly in the soil and their economics over that time. As a field manager, we work with the growers to help both implement all the research protocols, making sure the trials are set up properly, that we're gathering all the information we need, also helping them to adjust and make decisions based on what types of cover crops or whatever management information they want. In addition to that, we do uh, we help with outreach and, and the local watersheds or different groups that are going on and try to integrate it all into a national a national program that spans multiple states across the Midwest. And Ken, can you tell us a little about your operation and maybe a little bit about how you got started using cover crops? Sure, Mike. Cedar Home Farms is a family partnership consisting of myself, my wife, Sue, and my youngest son, Mike. The whole family really does get involved, though. We have another son, Chad, who is an IT guy, and his services come in uh, and to be very valuable to us, too. And all the grandkids like to help out whenever they can, too. Uh, The farm is a little over 1,000 acres altogether, with generally about a little over 900 crop acres each year. Uh, We grow corn, soybeans, wheat, and hay, basically. I think I've been involved in cover crops now probably for six or seven years. Started out with some cover crops after a wheat crop one year and uh, now have been getting a little more involved with it every year since then. Okay, well, thanks for the background story there. Jim, coming back to you, from your perspective, what do you see as some of the benefits of cover crops and why do you think a farmer should consider using them? Well, there's all kinds of benefits to cover crops, and we find the more that we use them, the more they can fit into different niches and give us benefits that we weren't necessarily expecting before. 
primarily the big ones that are driving a lot of the current adoption is the environmental benefits that we get from them as well as the soil health benefits, which are sometimes interchangeable, but they're not necessarily the same thing. But from the environmental side, we certainly see the, the big things such as reducing soil erosion and retaining the nutrients in our soils, which is obviously a big one. Both states I work in, is Wisconsin as well as Illinois, that idea of helping us keep our, our waters clean by keeping those nutrients on the soil rather than going out. And farmers want to participate in promoting that environmental side of that. But we also come to them in terms of when we talk about soil health, we're really trying to come and discuss the benefits to them on their farm. You know, what does that mean for them from the economic side? So we'll talk a lot about benefits such as water infiltration. You know, what does that mean, particularly in a dry year when you can absorb those those heavier rains, something along that lines, or nutrient cycling is another important one that we talk about a lot, making sure that our hips are alive and functioning, that, that nutrients that are in the soil can be released and used at our cash crops at the right times. So those are just some of the benefits. So other farmers go on to find you know, benefits with livestock, for example, if they can integrate these cover crops into producing a forage. Uh, those are another big tangible financial outcome that a lot of growers sometimes find as they get involved with, with utilizing cover crops. So there's a lot of different things that can be achieved through this, but it is mostly looking at those environmental and soil health components. I'd just like to add to that, Mike, that where we farm down here, we have land in Dodge, Jefferson, and Waukesha counties, and a lot of where we live is this commonly referred to as lake country. And we see uh, one of the big benefits of cover crops, again, is keeping the water clean. We have a lot of urban neighbors and friends here, and we just like to make sure we um, have all the same values that they do. And as they say, Ken, actions speak louder than words. And by getting involved with cover crops, I think you're making a big statement about uh, your commitment to quality water and soil conservation. So I commend you for that. We are speaking with Ken Rose now. He is one of the owners of the Cedar Home Farms and also Jim Iserman, who is the Illinois and Wisconsin field manager for Soil Health Partnerships. And that's our focus today on Dairy Stream is cover crops. And so, Jim, let's go back to you for a moment and talk a little bit about, you know, there's a variety of cover crops that are available to a grower. So in your opinion, what are some of the more popular cover crops? And if I'm just starting out, I'm kind of a beginner. Is there any specific varieties that you recommend? Sure. So in the winter of 2019 and 2020, Soil Health Partnership, we conducted a survey of all the growers that are in our network to start to gather some of this information of what is actually going on in the field, what are they looking to use, and, and ultimately we want to tie that into what is being most successful. So the information we got out of that I think does line up pretty well with a lot of um, other national surveys and information that's coming out there, but we certainly did find that the most popular cover crop hands down is a cereal rye uh, for many reasons, and, and that's probably been known across the country for quite a while. It's, it's extremely winter hardy. It's a cover crop that growers find a lot of success with. Um, it's something that they can get on their fields. They can plant it late. Um, it'll overwinter. It'll do a lot of those, give us a lot of the benefits that we discussed earlier when we look at what do we want out of a cover crop. Well, we want it to hold the soil. We want that living root in the ground throughout the winter. We want it to take up nutrients that might otherwise be lost. And we find that cereal rye does a really good job of making that work and being successful for growers. So but as far as for recommendations of what somebody getting into cover crops might look at, there's a couple different routes you can go. It's pretty common to suggest using 
a winter kill cover crop for beginning growers, and that would be a cover crop that you you know you would plant it in the late summer or fall, and then over the winter time it would die off, and that way come springtime you know you got some of the benefits of that cover crop, but nonetheless you don't have a cover crop that needs to be terminated or any biomass in the springtime that you necessarily have to deal with. Uh, the downside of that is as we move north, the options to use those become a little more limited. So farther south, I work throughout Illinois, and as we go farther south, we can even get winter kill cover crops planted after a typical corn and soybean harvest. The farther north you go, the tougher that becomes. So there is a danger that we don't we don't want to just put seed out there that ultimately doesn't give us much growth or anything. So unless you're looking at a scenario of a small grains or corn silage or some kind of unique opportunity to be able to get those covered earlier, it becomes a little more difficult as we get into like the Wisconsin area. So we look a lot more to, to utilizing that cereal rye because it's something that if you can get it out on the ground, one way or another, cereal rye tends to grow and it will be there come springtime to give us some benefits. As far as beginners go, we do always want to have that conversation. It's not just the cover crop that you're planting, it's what that next cash crop is going to be. So we tend to always caution people about using cereal rye if that next cash crop is going to be corn. There are ways we can manage it to do that, and there are reasons to, uh, to want to, to do that, depending on the situation that you're in. But certainly as far as a cover crop recommendation for someone who's trying things out for the first time, getting a cereal rye rate out there at you know, 40 to 60 pounds of the acre, planning on coming back that next spring with some no-till soybeans usually works really well. Well, thanks, Jim, for that insightful explanation and really give people a lot of depth in that answer. So thanks for that. Ken, I want to get back to you on the fact of, you know, you've been doing this for about six years or so, you said. Uh, when you talk about, you know, crop rotations, things like that, is that kind of true as well for cover crops? I mean, uh, have you changed up what cover crops you plant from field to field? Yes, we have a, a little bit there, Mike. We're very fortunate in this area. I think we have a lot of uh, friends and neighbors around here that have really uh, pioneered in the in the cover crop business here, so to say. Um, I think back when uh, we first started using it and when a lot of people around here really got into it, one of the most uh, popular cover crops was the radishes. Mm-hmm. And I think we do have a lot of uh, no-till farmers that's taken off pretty pretty big around here or at least limited tillage anyway and the radishes were very popular and that you could plant them and let them so to say do the plowing for you since those early uh, years uh, a lot of people still are incorporating some radishes in their mixes but as Jim said the cereal rye really does uh, take precedence a lot more because it's easier to do it doesn't need quite as long of a growing season, which is a big problem for us here. We do have a wide variety of soil types, but really don't make a lot of cover crop decisions just on that. It's more on the like the crop that's grown. For instance, after wheat, you have a lot more uh, choices and you can select a wider variety of cover crops. But we are still here in Wisconsin, so mainly after corn and beans, cereal rye is cover crop of choice. That is the voice of Ken Rose now. He is uh, one of the family members from Cedar Home Farms. Also with us is Jim Iserman, Illinois Wisconsin field manager for Soil Health Partnership. And kind of a follow-up question for you, Jim. If a farmer wants to mix species of cover crops, what advice do you have for them? 
the advice would be primarily based upon when they intend to get that cover crop out there. So as we talked about earlier, we're, we're looking a lot at corn and soybean systems where oftentimes a grower is, is going out after corn and soybean harvest or maybe with some side of sort of interceding. But generally in that situation, my advice is to keep it simple. I know we hear a lot about some complex mixes um, that can do some really cool and wonderful things with the soils, but they are usually limited to summer mixes, you know, situations where we can get a cover crop out there in July, August, something like that. That's when we look at those really complex mixes. So if we're going to look at a mix in a corn and soybean situation, it's usually looking at a two or three or four species mix. And then it's just really trying to pick what will be most successful and looking at those different families, different species to be represented. And so trying to get, you know, starting off that base of a cereal, like a cereal rye, uh, we can also look at things like wheat or barley to be involved there. And then adding a brassica is usually really successful. Uh, as we go farther north, we can use things such as rapeseed um, and also using things like the tillage radish that uh, Ken was mentioning earlier. And, you know, if possible, getting some leggings involved is great. I uh, love to see that when it's, when we can make that work. But we do oftentimes struggle with overwintering of a legume as we get farther north. So it's just keeping in mind what your goal is, uh, what the situation you're working into, what that seeding date is going to be, and especially starting off, just keep it simple, trying to find those species that will be most successful. Covering some of the basics when it comes to cover crops, a couple of quality guests today with us on our Dairy Stream podcast. Going to take a break in just a couple of moments, but still have a few questions for you. And Ken, want to talk about just from your experience, what do you see as the best way to plant a cover crop? We've really had the best luck using a traditional uh, no-till drill, really. We've gotten the best stands from that, so I, I guess if you have the time that you can uh, do that, that really works the best. But we've also had some fairly good success seeding with a helicopter and also just kind of broadcasting on top with pretty much a fertilizer type spreader. Hmm, interesting. I'm glad you've had such good success. Uh, Jim, before we take our break, just want to talk a little bit about the economics. Obviously, our listeners know there's a cost with cover crops. I don't know. Can you give us kind of a ballpark figure? Do you know the average cost of cover crops per acre? Sure. So that can vary widely depending on what type of cover crop you're applying and getting back to some of the different circumstances you may be in. But we did include that as part of our survey last year for our SHP growers. And we saw that across our network, growers were spending about $15 per acre for the actual cover crop seed. And then the application costs were running about $12 an acre. That could vary a lot. I mean, Ken just mentioned some very um, different ways to apply a cover crop, and those will have a lot of implications as far as the cost of applying them. So it can be, be very different depending on circumstances. And then also the number of species. We talked a little bit about blending species. We do see it tends to be a little bit cheaper when a grower is looking at just a single species. We saw rates as low as $14 an acre for an average on, on putting out a single species. And as we started to apply more complex mixes, the cost went up um, and we got closer. If a grower was putting out a three-way mix or higher, they might be in about $22. They might be in those lower 20 for cost. But they're also in situations where they knew that that cover crop was going to express itself. They were usually being able to seed earlier, maybe using some of the summer annual mixes. So they were willing to put a little more money into it. Well, thanks for the dollars and cents of making sense of using cover crops. And we've basically been talking about uh, cover crop basics, but after we uh, take this break, we are going to talk about overcoming some challenges as we continue to have our conversation here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. 
The Nature Conservancy is a global conservation organization dedicated to conserving the lands and waters on which all life depends. Guided by science, we create innovative, on-the-ground solutions to our world's toughest challenges so that nature and people can thrive together. In Wisconsin, we help farmers improve soil health and protect clean water while sustaining profitability. We also collaborate with communities, governments, businesses, and other nonprofits to protect Wisconsin's most outstanding natural areas, address climate changes and its impacts, and help make cities more sustainable. To learn more, visit nature.org backslash Wisconsin. Welcome back to Dairy Stream. It's brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin, and today we are covering cover crops. Our guests are Jim Iserman, the Illinois and Wisconsin Field Manager for Soil Health Partnership, and also is uh, Ken Rosenau with us. He's one of the uh, family partners of Cedar Home Farms and also very active in conservation groups. We thank them both for their insights. Uh, before the break, we talked about some of the basics of cover crops. Now I want to talk about overcoming some challenges because uh, there have been producers that have had some mistakes or hurdles to overcome. And we're going to start with you, Ken, since you've been doing this now for over six years. Uh, what was a mistake or a lesson you've learned from planting cover crops? Well, I think the the biggest thing I've learned through the years so far is that you uh, can expect things to go as you always planned. In other words, you have to learn to be very flexible. Every year, um, things change. The weather, of course, is always challenging. For instance, this year, we've already planted some cereal rye with a helicopter. I mean, we do have the beans off now, but there really isn't too much coming. And I think that really has a lot to do with the dryness we had throughout the end of August and into September there. So mm-hmm. we're, we're always fighting these things. Um, another thing, you know, the, the, the prices are always changing and the supplies are different. For instance, last year, when there was a lot of prevent plant acres, that really uh, stressed the availability of some cover crop seeds and made them much more expensive, too. Yeah, and Jim, can you expand on that from your perspective? What are some of the bigger mistakes you see farmers doing when it comes to cover crops? Well, I'd like hopefully that they're all going to look back and, and view it all as learning experiences. Uh, obviously, there are plenty of mistakes, but there's some of those things that sometimes we just always have to do them. But before we learn the, the right way to do it moving forward, and one of those is probably seeding a cover crop species at the wrong time, you know, generally too late in the year. So we hear a lot of, you know, benefits of, of certain type of cover crop like radishes or annual ryegrass or something like that. And we'll maybe push the envelope on how late we can seed those um, species. And, you know, that's okay because some years it does work. Uh, you know, we're dealing with Mother Nature, as Ken kind of said, it always, you know, throw us something a little bit different every year. So some years you may be able to seed them at a certain date and get by with it. But then the next year, you know, you seed it and think you're going to see the same results. And yet, you know, we get a colder winter, and early frost, and it really uh, negatively affects the establishment and the overwintering. So it's okay if you're approaching that with that idea and recognizing that maybe you're in the risk zone of, of getting something out there, whether it's going to kind of overwinter, but not to look back at that and be too upset if it doesn't work out. So always kind of try to learn as much as you can about the right seeding dates for the the different species. Then the other big one that we see some farmers struggle with sometimes is, you know, we talk about cereal rye. I've already mentioned it as one of the best uh, cover crops out there, but 
coming back to that idea that if your intention is to plant corn into that rye the next year, you really do need to understand particularly the nitrogen management implications of that and making sure that you're set up to, to deal with that successfully because that can be one that can come back to, to cause some some issues for growers over the years and, and give them a bad taste about cover crops when we just need to make sure that we're understanding the, the system that we have going on there, particularly as it relates to nitrogen. I think one of the things we found is being that we are pretty small family farm here, that one thing that really limits us is our labor force. So it does pay to plan ahead because as the fall progresses and you're already busy harvesting and trying to get those things done, you have a always a very narrow window of opportunity for these cover crops. So it's good to plan ahead to make sure that you're going to have time to get it all done. And that's a good point, Ken. So as long as you're on the line with me, it was, everybody knows about the un predictability of weather patterns, which really can make it a, a challenge to get that cover crop planted on time. And as you said, with limited resources, uh, what kind of options or advice do you have for farmers that might be faced with getting their cover crops in on time? Well, you have to be flexible and uh, consider all the options that you do have. For instance, last year we were trying to get some cover crops seeded in corn and we were going to apply it with our uh, side dress nitrogen application. Well, first we were going to do it ourselves with a fertilizer spreader. And by gosh, all of a sudden that corn was too big that we couldn't get over it. So then uh, we had to hire the co-op with one of their high boy spreaders to actually get in there and do it. So you have to consider all your options and uh, just kind of roll with the punches. That is Ken Rosenau from Cedar Home Farms, so one of our participants today in Dairy Streams. Also with us is Jim Iserman, Illinois-Wisconsin Field Manager for Soil Health Partnership. And Jim, getting back to you, we talk about uh, diversity, not only of weather patterns, but also especially in the Midwest. We have a whole different type of soils throughout uh, the region that you cover. And of course, there's different soils throughout this country. So what cover crops really grow best? Maybe tell us a couple of examples, you know, we're in red clay soil or sandy soils or even wet soils. Yeah, so I'm going to be cautious on giving those types of recommendations because what I've learned in covering Wisconsin is there is all different types of situations when it starts to come down to those, yes, those soils. Yes. You, you've mentioned some of them. So I think, uh, you know, keep in mind, number one, they are a cover crop. We're not necessarily growing them for a cash crop. So, you know, what are you really wanting out of that particular species? You know, so it may not, it may be something that it shouldn't be growing on a heavy clay soil if you were growing it for seed or something like that, but it may still give you the benefits that you're looking for. So I would find, you know, say finding a good resource that will give you, you know, real in-depth particulars. And I would highlight the Midwest Cover Crop Council uh, has a very good website with some different links involved there that will get you into some good good information if you really want to get down to whether or not this will grow on that type of type of soil type but i will give that highlight of always thinking through what's going to come up that next spring you highlighted those heavy clay soils and you know always keep that in mind come springtime is that soil going to be you know wet is that going to be a, a big concern for you in order to get your cash crop in and make sure that you're picking a cover crop or even the seeding method or termination methods that are really going to help you overcome those challenges because that is another challenge that we see frequently. Uh, Cover crops used a lot to really help out drought-prone soils and we see a lot of benefits there. It's another level of management if we have a really wet type of clay soil that we might be dealing with in the springtime. 
And Jim, getting back to the economics of cover crops, obviously it is an investment. Is there any financial support? And if so, uh, where would you direct a farmer to find more information? Sure. So I'm going to make a couple quick comments, and then I, I think Ken might have some good insight this too, on this, too, because he's more on the ground level dealing with the watersheds and the local conservation efforts, because they are a big, um, a big source of funding. There's so many smaller scale opportunities to get funding, depending on where you're at, that always reach out to those local county governments and conservation organizations to find out what kind of options you have. But at the broader level, looking at the NRCS, you know, I farm myself and I'm involved in a number of their programs and you know they, they come with certain requirements and everything but especially if you're starting off in cover crops they can offer some real support in helping you uh, get started and ken yes i would echo what jim said uh there's many many sources to get a little financial support there um uh, several groups here that we participate in, and they will kind of help sponsor things like the helicopter seeding. And for instance, the one uh, that we work with in Dodge County has a kind of a one-on-one, or I guess if you've been doing it for more than uh, the first year, it's a two-on-one. So they will uh, give you a financial incentive to plant, say, one acre of cover crop, and then you have to commit to do two more acres beside that. So it all helps, and uh, it's a good chance to get started and without putting too much economic risk. And Jim, I know you mentioned NRCS, and I know they work with a lot of these watershed groups and assist is sometimes in you know, making sure the right machinery is there to plant the cover crops. But you know, for some growers, it is going to be a challenge. So again, maybe you can give some suggestions. How can a farmer overcome that challenge? Well, I think we've had some more great highlights on that from Ken, just listening to, I've been starting to write down, I think he's mentioned four or five different ways of of applying a cover crop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a relatively small farm and yet has been able to to find those different ways of of getting that. So I think we talk a lot about the ideal way to apply a cover crop. So we may talk about drilling, for example, getting out there, getting that good seed, uh, seed to soil contact and a good, you know, good stand going. But, you know, make it work. You can make it work with the equipment that you have. He also mentioned, you know, broadcasting on top of the ground. You know, a lot of growers just in the interest of time are looking to do some sort of broadcast application, either with their fertilizer and then maybe doing some light incorporation. Um, There's all kinds of different ways of, of getting these cover crops established, you know, whatever way you can come up with to get that seed out on the ground. The right period of time doing something to get some seed to soil contact would be a huge benefit but we want to see you know the acres grow and while there is a lot of equipment to do that i've seen you know in wisconsin the interseeders can talk a little bit about doing that early season interseeding mm-hmm. um, seeing a number of those different implements out there that are available through some conservation districts and, and different programs so that's another way of doing it but that doesn't work you know he mentioned just broadcasting it right so there's the ideal and then there's you know that other way that they're going to get the job done so don't get too hung up on the machinery kind of look at what you have or what might be available locally from a from a neighbor get started get get something done is extremely important and then you can develop what you really want down the line in terms of machinery in order to to do it and can you want to add anything to that since i know at times you've had to improvise as well right well as i said we have improvised on all different ways of doing it and 
But I will say um, in the new group that we're forming right now in Waukesha County, one of the things we are looking into uh, using some of the funds that we have for is to possibly buy or get a machine built that will be able to um, plant cover crops between the corn rows. In other words, have like some skip row spacing in it and then being able to get uh, that machine shared by a number of farmers in the county just to try that out. So we're, we're trying to add that to our arsenal of equipment. Well, I want to thank you both. You've gone well beyond just the basic education on cover crops and given us some very practical and good insights. And I think highlighting not only the environmental uh, value, but also the economic and also some of the options and opportunities available are yet to be seen that you're now implementing when it comes to cover crops and the positive results we're seeing in soil and water quality in both states we're talking about, that being Illinois and Wisconsin, and certainly can work in areas beyond that. Our time goes too quickly. We've been talking with Jim Iserman, Illinois-Wisconsin Field Manager for Soil Health Partnerships, and Ken Rosenau from Cedar Home Farms. And we have been covering cover crops. Our dairy stream today has been brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. And as we wrap things up, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your insights and your time. But just in closing, I'll start with uh, you, Ken. What advice do you have for a farmer that's thinking about, okay, I'm going to try cover crops? Well, I'd start out to say just look for the many uh, resources that are available to you. And as we've mentioned before, there are resources for monetary contributions to help you get started and many resources that you can learn a lot and gain knowledge from to start. I'd also say you can start small at first, experiment a little bit. I think one of the easier places to start is if you grow wheat after a wheat crop, And of course, all our dairy friends, if they uh, grow corn for silage, that's a great place to start with cover crops too. Good insights indeed. And your final comments, Jim? Yeah, I would uh, definitely agree with what Ken said there, especially on getting a place in terms of the wheat and the corn silage. And I will just reinforce the idea of, you know, start small, but but get started. Don't think that you have to have a plan for, for every acre that you farm for a cover crop to get to get going just get out there learn a lot about how it's going to work in your system and however you think you're going to use cover crops now you know it's going to be different five years from now once you get involved and start using it and see how it fits in your system you'll come up with your own way of of making it work well gentlemen thank you both for not only educating us but motivating us and hopefully producers will follow up on this conversation learn more and implement some of the practices and procedures we did share today again we do want to thank our guests jim eiserman illinois wisconsin field manager soil health partnership and ken rosenow cedar home farms i wish him and his family continued success in the future we thank you for listening to this edition of dairy stream i in particular want to thank our hard-working and gifted producer joanna guza for making everybody sound so good and we hope Hope that uh, after hearing this conversation, cover crops will sound even better to you. I'm Mike Austin, and that's Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.